Good morning once more. Praise God. As you see on the back of your bulletin, the title of today's sermon is The Necessity of the Virgin Birth. And some will say, well, is it necessary? Well, right off of the bat, right off of that, off the bat, if you don't know, yes, it is necessary, very necessary. Not only does it separate Jesus from Muhammad, the Dalai Lama, Confucius, Buddha, but it separates him from everyone else in humanity. Now the question is, what do you think about the Christ? What do you believe about the Lord? Do you, you believe he's just a man? Well, that question was posed by Jesus to the religious leaders of his day because they assumed that the Messiah, yes, he would come from the royal line of David, and yes, he would be a conquering king, but no, the time wasn't then, and yes, he is God incarnate. But they didn't believe that. They didn't understand exactly who the Messiah would be. And that denial and doubt comes all the way down to our day, where many still don't believe it. They still deny the deity of Christ. For instance, in an op-ed piece uh, titled August 15, 2003, you had columnist Nicholas Kristol uh, write a, a, a scathing column against Christians, uh, a, a terrible put-down. In his words, in his article, he said, the faith in the virgin birth reflects the way American Christianity is becoming less intellectual and more mystical over time. And then he finishes his piece by, uh, with the following patronization by saying the heart is a wonderful organ, but so is the brain. The question has been worded differently over time, but it basically comes down to how can God become a man? How can one person be both divine and human at the same time? So you have atheists and skeptics and overall liberal Christendom coming together in their public condemnation of the second person of the Trinity. To them, it is hyper illogical that God could become man. To them, it would take something so fantastical and so supernatural, like a um, virgin birth, which is exactly what we get in Christ. So this morning, we will be spending our time in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you didn't hear it earlier, I'll give you time to turn there. But Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And we're going to explore this factual event from Matthew's Gospel. One reason I'm speaking about this is because I truly believe that this doctrinal pillar needs to be uh, 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 preached and taught more than just once a year uh, in December because you have so many so-called Christians, and I call them so-called uh, Christians because if you don't believe in the authority of the word of God and the sufficiency of the word of God, what are you basing your faith on? But even in our day, you have many so-called Christians who doubt the virgin birth really took place. And many Christians are doubting the veracity, the authority, the authenticity of the word of God. Um, according to a 2017 uh, Gallup poll, only 35% of Protestant Christians believe that the Bible 
is the word of God. And I didn't say contains the word of God because many people believe that somewhere in there in the red writing or where it says, thus says the Lord, that's the word of God. But they don't believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. So to help me handle the text accurately, I'm going to pray once more. Please pray with me. Father, please help me to handle your word with precision. May I speak clearly and boldly and reveal Christ that he would get all the glory. I pray your word will pierce many hearts, bringing salvation and or sanctification in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today's sermon will be broken up into three acts. We have act number one, the announcement, act number two, the atonement, and act number three, the advancement. So please follow along as I read Matthew chapter one, uh, verses 18 to 25. This is the pure and almighty word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from, his, from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Act number one, the announcement. Now I have to agree with John MacArthur when he says that he believes Hark the Herald Angels Sing is the greatest Christian or Christmas song ever written. But I have to go a little further because not only do I believe it's the greatest Christmas song ever written, but not only do I also believe that it's not the greatest Christian song ever written, but I believe that it is the greatest song ever written, period. Why? Because it sings of the fulfillment of the dream of all dreams, that God, the Savior, is now going to dwell with man. The song was first written by Charles Wesley, and then roughly 15 years later, it was written over by George Whitfield. He uh, Calvinized it, if you will. In other words, he made it more biblical. I, I'll put it like that. I'm just going to put it right out there. I'm just going to put it right out there. Praise God. Uh, but the song is uh, dripping rich in theology. I'll just read the, the second stanza for you. It says, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the favored one, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, this, this baby. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, hark 
the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. This word is, 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 is so great, so ingenious, so poetic that you have people who don't acknowledge Christ. And some people will go against Christ. And every December while they're shopping, they'll hum along and even sing some of the words without even realizing what they're saying. Right. One moment they're singing the words and the next moment they come upon a manger scene and they're like, why? Why against my my, my liberties? Why? Why do I have to see this? Right, it's, it's like, it's like, but the song is so great, it's so, 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 so catchy. It, it is so good that um, you have Jehovah's Witnesses who, 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 they'll be confused. They don't know if the Watchtower allows them to sing the song or not. But it, it is so good, you can watch them and they're stuck. They may sing, and they don't know what to do, but the song is so great. But seriously, once again, this song is so poetic and ingenious because it announces to the world that the infant in the manger is the almighty God in human form. Once again, verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, among the Jews, uh, marriage vows were said at the betrothal and required divorce to end them. Uh, and it, about a year later, then the wife would enter into the house of her husband and consummate uh, the marriage. And it was during this year period when Mary was found to be with child. And according to Deuteronomy 22, that meant death. That meant you did something foul you shouldn't have been doing, and it meant certain, certain death. And apparently Mary didn't disclose this to Joseph because she found out before she would be impregnated that she would be impregnated. And from our text here, we see Joseph found out afterwards. And we can understand why Mary chose to keep that to herself. How could this young Jewish girl explain to her husband that she's pregnant? What does she say? How do you even bring that up? Hey, Joseph, guess what happened? Hey, hey, Joseph, can you imagine what happened to me the other day? There's, there's no way to bring that. So she decided to wait for some divine authentication or face the possibility of death. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Rather than make a public accusation of adultery, he demanded or he rather gave her a writing, would rather have given her a writing of divorce privately. And the way he went about it showed his immense love for her, his incredible care for her. Can you imagine the thoughts of hurt and betrayal going through him, going through his mind, just shaking his whole constitution of what he thought that he had with her, yet he did not want to shame her publicly. He chose rather than paying her, repaying her evil for evil, evil, he thought to give uh, honorable thought to what was honorable, I should say, which takes us to the next verse. Verse 20 says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
The scripture says, but as he considered these things. Once again, once again, here is a man who was crushed, feeling cheated on and deceived. But instead of rushing to judgment and divorcing her as fast as he possibly could, the scripture says he considered these things, which means to think carefully about your very next move, to think about what you're going to do, what maturity and what patience, how many of us could say we would have done the same thing. This truly was a just man. And did you also notice that when the angel addressed Joseph, he uses the kingly title, son of David, recognizing him as heir to the vacant Davidic throne. Luke's genealogy follows Matthew's, I mean, yeah, uh, 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 Mary's line, but Matthew's genealogy follows the kingly line down from Judah. And if Judah would have remained obedient or been obedient to uh, the Lord, they would not have been removed by King Nebuchadnezzar and thrown into exile and lose their place as far as reigning as a powerful nation upon the earth. So that as you came down the line, Joseph would have been king, but God had other plans. The angel then says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, fear not, Joseph. Mary is not a scandalous woman. Do not fear, son of David. The child in her womb is no ordinary child. This one verse establishes a vitally important Christian doctrine of the virgin birth. The virgin birth is not a second issue, secondary issue, I could say. It is a first order doctrine. And someone may ask, well, why is it a first order doctrine, Pastor Mike? And I would say, I'm glad you asked. But instead of putting it in my own words, I believe these Second London Baptist Confession, chapter eight, article two, says it the best. There we read, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit coming down upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowing her. And so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David according to the scriptures. Now get this, so that two whole perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which means God has been represented by Jesus Christ so that he is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man, end quote. It had to be that Christ would be born by the supernatural agent of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the Virgin Mary, the same way the Lord himself formed Adam from the dust of the ground. The Holy Spirit seed planting in Mary's uh, conceiving of Jesus proves the divine essence of Jesus's nature. Please don't be like the atheists or the liberal scholars who are clueless concerning the authenticity and authority of the scriptures. If you call yourself a Christian, please stand and fight for the word of God that has been passed down from God to you. 
granting you all things pertaining to life and godliness. If you budge on the word, you will budge on your faith. Therefore, stand firm. How can a young man or woman keep their way pure? By guarding it according to God's word. Psalm 119 and verse 9. This brings us to act number two, the atonement. Verse 21 says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. And the ones that he will save includes men, women, and children from all nations, peoples, tribes, and tongues. As Ephesians 2.13 proclaims, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, some like to point out that Matthew's gospel is written primarily to Jews. And then they'll take this verse and lift it out of context and say, this is talking about during the millennial reign when Christ will place the Jews in a place of prominence. And at that time, he will save his people from their sins. That is an eisegetical stretch beyond compare. They're reading into the text their own presuppositions instead of drawing out of the text or exegeting what flows naturally from the text. This verse is simply saying that all who receive him, those who believe in his name, to them he will give the right to become children of God who were saved or, or drawn or are given to God, not of blood, it's, it's not the bloodlines, it's not who you came down from, nor of the will of the flesh. It doesn't matter what country you were born in, they can't make you Christian if they're called a so-called Christian nation. That's not biblical, nor of the will of man. There's no such thing as a free will for someone who wants to choose God. You, you can't do that, it's outside of you. Which the next line says, the next clause is clear that it has to be of God. You have to be born from above, born again, outside of yourself, from God. These are the ones that Jesus will save from their sins. All who believe in Jesus will receive a full pardon but if you're here today and you don't believe, you're going to miss out on that full pardon. You're going to have to pay the, the penalty for your sins yourself. And not only will you miss out on the full pardon of God in the future, but you're missing out on the eternal life, joy, and peace from God right now. For you who live life apart from God, to be honest, you know deep down inside, inside, your life is an empty nightmare. You may be able to fool the people you hang around with and even some of your family members that you're having a great time, but you know in the quiet times, when you have time to think about your life and what it consists of, you just think about it, right? It's, it consists of being busy, just keeping busy. Whatever the latest trend is, you have to latch on to that. Your hobbies, your, your, your desires. And then for those who are workaholics, you, you work, 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 and then you take a little bit of time to spend money on your pleasures. But then you have to work to pay for those temporary pleasures. And it becomes a terrible, miserable cycle of busyness, work, debt, 
busyness, work, day, day after day, week after week, year after year, and then you die. But that's not it. Because the very next moment after your soul leaves your body and the ground and the body and, and, and your body is just stopped operating, at the very next moment you will exper experience torment. Torment. Then after that, the judgment. Then after that, more torment. And some will say, well, that makes no sense. But to show you how the image of God works in man, without man even realizing it, he has set up a similar system. If I commit a crime today, I'm going to jail. And if I don't have bail money, the judgment has been set. They won't tell you that, but I'm already judged. My freedom has been taken away, and I'm in jail awaiting sentencing. Then I go to court, found guilty, then I'll leave Rikers Island and go upstate to serve a harder sentence. So the sentence comes, then the court, then more sentencing. God says, that's, that's me. If you die and you don't know me, if there's no relationship, that's what's going to happen, but on a much higher scale, on an eternal scale. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 15 to um, 17 for a minute. I pray you will take time even reading Ecclesiastes later on in your time. Because Solomon, who did it bigger and better than you or anybody you know, he says it is all vanity. It is all emptiness. It, 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 it is a striving after the wind. And what is in the wind? There's nothing in the wind. But we have these things that come to us, you know, hot and heavy, and we have to jump on it. And we will go to the east, chase that, and we find nothing there. And then we'll go to the west and chase that, and there's nothing there. It's a striving after the wind. Everything apart from God, which is where Solomon gets the phrase, under the sun. He gets that from being apart from God. Everything under the sun is vanity. There's nothing in it. In Revelation 6, it tells us what you're going to do on the day when Christ returns. It tells us how you're going to respond when the one who is seated on the throne comes along with the Lamb. Revelation 6, beginning in verse uh, uh, 15, it says, The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone Slave and free will hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They will hide themselves because they know what you also know deep down inside, that you are accountable to somebody for the life you're living. It's just in you. He has placed it in you. You just know, according to Romans chapter 1. And Revelation 6 goes on to lovingly warn us that those who are not born again will call to the mountains and rocks and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. There you have two persons out of the three of the Trinity. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Every year we get a, a, a visual of September 11th. 
and we'll see the, the, the buildings collapse with some people jumping, some people still inside, many people still inside, and the rocks, the bricks, and the glass, and the plastic, and the aluminum are falling down on people, and it's a horrific scene. What this scripture is saying is on that day, when the Lord comes back, it would be better for you to have bricks and rocks and mortar fall on you than to face the one seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. That's what this is saying right here. It's, it would be better for you to just hide in a cave and try to get away from the one who is going to judge you because you refuse to receive him as your savior. Unbeliever, today is the day of salvation. I plead with you to repent from your ungodliness. Turn around and follow hard after God and his son, Jesus Christ. I could say believe, but here everybody says they believe. So I will say follow hard after God. Every day of your vain life, as the scripture says. Every day of your life, just give your life to Christ daily. Follow him until you see him face to face. Why? Because he came to save his people from their sins. Verses 22 and 23 together. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Once again, showing that all scripture is God-breathed. What the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The words, behold, the virgin shall conceive, comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which was written roughly 700 years before the virgin birth took place. Now, liberals, hating the fact that the Bible could be so accurate, they challenge the word uh, that, that, that is translated virgin. Right? Because of the Hebrew word Alma. And they insist this word just means a young maiden, a young woman of marriageable age. They say that if Isaiah unmistakably and definitely meant a virgin, he would have used the Hebrew word Bethula. For them, you know, it, it, it's like a, a no-brainer. But if you took the time and you looked up the word Bethula, you would see that, yes, it means someone who is a virgin, but then there's a clause that says most of the time. It's not a slam dunk. They won't share that with you. So it requires reading from people who try to sound intellectual, but they're being deceitful. For example, if you looked up the word Bethula in your book, we, in, in your Bible, we have so many tools for us today, it's not that hard. You would see that in Lamentations 5, 11, Psalm 78, 63, and Zechariah 9, 17, Bethula clearly means just, it just means a young woman. A young woman, that's, that's all it means. So the fact that Bethula can mean virgin, but not always, takes you right back to Alma. Why not use Alma? Especially since every time the word Alma is used, it refers to a virgin, a non-sex-having virgin, every time. I'll give you a couple of examples. Remember Rebecca in Genesis chapter 24, when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac? 
he was standing there looking, and the word that is used there is virgin in verse 43. She's described as a virgin. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 8, speaking of Pharaoh's virgin daughter, we see the word Alma once again. And in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 and 19, it says, Three things are too wonderful for me, for I do not understand the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. Agur, the writer of this Proverbs, uses the word Alma to describe a woman who is a sexually pure virgin. So that when Isaiah writes, Behold, the virgin shall uh, conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, he's being consistent by using the contextually appropriate Hebrew word Alma, referring to a sexually pure virgin. Concerning the name Emmanuel, his name was to be Jesus, but the people shall call him God with us. God with us. So to summarize our text thus far, the angel basically told Joseph, your fiance has been impregnated by God, the Holy Spirit. You are going to marry her. Then she's going to give birth to the Messiah. The people are going to call him Emmanuel because they will see him as God with us. But you will name him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Now go back to sleep. <laughs> this brings us to act number three, the advancement. Verses 24, 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph advanced or moved forward with what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He immediately took Mary to live in his home so that at Jesus' birth, he would be his legitimate son and legal heir to the throne. Everything had to be according to fulfillment. It had to be just right. We read it, and it doesn't mean that much to us. But to God, it means everything because he's a promise keeper, and it had to be the way he said it would be. However, Joseph did not know her sexually prior to his birth. And unless one is committed beyond all reason to defend the unbiblical doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary, as Catholicism does, Jesus was born of a virgin, meaning Joseph and Mary didn't have sex until after, and I love the word until, because for you who come out of Catholicism, it's hard for you to hear that Joseph and Mary had sex. So I'm going to say it, and I want to see who cringes. Joseph and Mary had sex. Okay, y'all okay. Y'all all right. Nobody covered their ears. Praise the Lord for that. To come out of unbiblical ways to say something happened that did not happen could lead you down a path to have a pattern of not believing the word of God for what it says, neither Matthew nor any of the other gospel writers even hint that Mary was a perpetual 
virgin. The Bible specifically tells us that Jesus had half-brothers and sisters. Please don't buy into the fallacy that they were from Joseph's prior marriage. We have no proof of that. Joseph himself was uh, most likely still a young man because according to the Jewish encyclopedia, a large age gap between spouses in either direction is advised against as unwise. A young, younger woman marrying a significantly older man is especially problematic. Marrying one's young daughter to an old man was declared as reprehensible as forcing her into prostitution, end quote. Not that it didn't happen to less honorable men, but according to verse 19 of our text, it tells us that Joseph was a just man. And according to the Cambridge History of Judaism, volume four, the rabbis understood marriage as God's means of keeping male sexuality from going out of control. So they advocated for early marriage to prevent men from succumbing to temptation in their youth, end quote. For these reasons, it is most likely that Joseph was not previously married and left with at least four children since he himself was also young when he married Mary. But the question still remains in some of y'all's mind, was the virgin birth necessary? So I would like to close uh, my case by presenting four answers to this question that shows the necessity for the virgin birth and the need for Christians to believe in the authority of Scripture. Reason number one, the virgin birth was necessary, is because God desired to reveal himself to mankind. And since God is without sin, it had to come through the virgin birth. Although God reveals himself in various ways, only the incarnation reveals the special revelation of God in bodily form. John 1.18 says it this way, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The only way man can know the Father is to know the Son. And the only way we can do that today is through the special revelation of the Word of God. Reason number two the virgin birth was necessary was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We were all dead in trespasses and sins and following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. This world is filled with rage and it's the arena that Satan dominates. But Jesus the Christ came into Satan's arena pure and undefiled, and defeated him, thus destroying his works at the cross. And Jesus said, the wicked one has nothing in me. And for those who believe in him, 1 John 4, 4 says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Don't believe you don't have control over the wicked one as far as what you do from the inside. 
Don't believe that you don't have control over what you do when somebody comes to you from the outside. You are different. You are special. God has called you to himself. And he says, I'm taking up residence in you. And in Matthew 12, he tells you that he comes and he binds the strong man. That means before you were saved, you had the strong man within you saying, jump, you jump. Whatever he said, you did. You thought it was all you. You thought you didn't need a crutch like your Christian friends. You thought you were different, but he was the one driving your heart and mind to do those things that bring death. When you go home, think about the things that you did apart from God. Those things you did in the dark and look at the statistics and see if they didn't bring death. If they don't, on the average, bring death out of time, as they say. But we worship a holy God who has given us power from within by writing his laws on our heart. Once again, unbeliever, this is something that you can't understand until you come into the family of God. You will look at Christians and you will say, I'm not following a bunch of rules. I can't give up this sin. Follow hard after God. Just cry out to the Lord to save you, to save your soul and leave God with the rest. As you get connected with a, a, a Bible teaching church and as you spend time in the word and as you pray, God does the work in you, cleaning, cleansing, just changing you and giving you a heart of worship for him. If you think of how you're going to do all of that now, you will be frozen. You won't move towards him because it's too much. But he says, just come. Just come to me. Just start there, unbeliever. Reason number three the virgin birth was necessary was to, to provide an effective sacrifice for our sins. Sin requires death for its payment. And since God cannot die, the Messiah had to come in the likeness of humanity in order to be able to die. But the death of an ordinary man would not pay for sin eternally. So the Christ needed also to be God. We needed a God, man, savior, and that's exactly what we have in Christ through the virgin birth. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 says, And every, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Praise God for the virgin birth, which produced the God-man, Jesus the Christ. And finally, reason number four, the virgin birth was necessary, was because Jesus could have no other father but God. He is the Son of God. And since he is immutable, or unchanging in his will, character, and person, if he is the Son of God now, he must have been the Son of God throughout all eternity. This is why when the psalmist in Psalm chapter 2 sings of the wickedness 
of the nations, he writes, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son, unbeliever. He didn't just appear on the scene in the manger. He's existed from all eternity. And I pray for people who call themselves Christian, but don't believe that. They fight against it. My, 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 my cousin, Jerome, I ask you to pray for him. He, I spoke to him Saturday, yesterday, and, 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 and he just came to the Lord roughly four months ago, I believe, maybe three. Um, he's, he's in a church, he's worshiping, but his uncle and brother-in-law came to him, and now they're sitting with him studying, but they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And I, I, I spoke to him and I said, you have to get away from them. You have to just somehow tell them you cannot meet with them. And, and he's just trying to understand. He says, I'm so confused. I'm so confused. He, he, he's about a 58-year-old, I think he's 58-year-old uh, man who he, he just worked all his life. And he doesn't understand these things. And I said, we, we, we can talk, we can talk weekly, we can go through the word of God. And, and, and in my mind, I'm saying there's this hole when somebody comes over your house and they sit with you and they're smiling all the time. And they're telling you about kingdom and, 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 and um, living on earth and, 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 and receiving this thing. And I said, you have to stay away. We will go through the word of God slowly, but stay away from them. And that's the problem, Christian for those who believe, for those who have trusted in Christ, you have to know the word enough to sit down with someone, to be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. Of course, with gentleness and respect, but you have to be able to sit down with someone and tell them why this is wrong and why this is right. Our families are perishing by the wayside, by the masses, because we're too busy to tell them about the narrow road to Christ. I pray from this day forward we would take that time to see what our loved ones believe and to show them the way, just to, with gentleness and respect, to, to show them why Christ is the only way. Just to, to, to show them how God has changed you by believing in his son and his son alone for salvation. It is the only way to God the Father. Kiss the Son. Beloved, never let anyone deny or even downplay the significance of the virgin birth. The precious, spotless, majestic treasure of heaven, the eternal Son of God, inherited a perfect human nature. And without the virgin birth, Christianity is non-existent. So praise God for the virgin birth. Praise his holy name. Please pray with me. Father God, without you, where would we be? We would be lost in a sea of sin. We would be caught up in darkness, not wanting truth, 
The word says none is righteous. No, not one. No one wants God. No one seeks after him. So you came for us, Lord God. You called us to yourself. And we believe. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray we would live for you, that we would give everything to you, that we would lay down our lives and just serve with joy and gladness, knowing we don't deserve any good. We deserve nothing to go well in our lives, but you are merciful. Your steadfast mercy endures forever, Lord God, and I thank you for your mercy. You took wretched men wallowing in their blood, choked by the, our umbilical cord, and you cleansed us. You washed us, Lord God, by your spirit. You adopted us into your family. You sanctified us progressively, uh, working in our lives, sanctifying us continually, and I thank you for that. Bless your holy name. Thank you for the virgin birth of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.